Today we're finishing a series on the book of Amos. And up until now, it's been doom and gloom. God has been warning his people through the prophet Amos that judgment is coming. The big one is coming. So Amos was a prophet born in the southern kingdom of Judah, but sent by God to the northern kingdom of Israel to proclaim the coming judgment, to uh, essentially indict Israel for its failure to uphold their covenant obligations and to foretell the coming judgment. Just It's been doom and gloom. God, for many years, has been trying to get Israel's attention with lesser judgments, but they've been stiff-necked. Uh, they have uh, continued in their wicked ways, and God has said, enough, the big one's coming, that which I warned you at the beginning through Moses, when we first entered into this agreement, uh, I said, if you don't keep up your side of the covenant, if you don't keep me as your God and obey my commands, well, then eventually I'm going to remove you from the promised land. You will become exiles. And uh, Amos is there to proclaim, uh, this is surely coming and it is coming soon. Amos is nine chapters and for uh, nine and, a, well, eight and a half chapters, it's, it's doom and gloom, but on the, in the last half of the last chapter, it turns and there's a note of hope. And that is significant. I think that reveals the compassionate, kind, merciful heart of God who always wants to uh, hold out the possibility of reconciliation and holds out hope. Even though he warns us of coming judgment, he does so to get our hearts to turn us so that we can seek the Lord and live, as Amos says in chapter 5. So turn in your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Amos, chapter 9. We're going to be looking at verses 11 through 15 today. I'm going to start by reading the text, then I'm going to go back through the text and make some textual notes and then we will talk about its significance for us today. Why end on a note of hope and what does it mean for us? Amos chapter 9, starting in verse 11. In that day, so Amos is foretelling, he's speaking about a, a, a time in the future. In that day, I will raise up the booth of David that is fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins, and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper, and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip sweet wine, and all the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel, and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine, and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land, and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I've given them, says the Lord your God. So this is a, a, a tremendous note of hope upon which Amos concludes his oracles from the Lord. And uh, I think it's strategic and intentional. 
So quickly some notes. Verse 11, what is the booth of David? I will raise up the booth of David that is fallen. He's talking about a restoration of the Davidic kingdom. During the time of David, uh, there was one people of God, one nation. But in the time of Amos, uh, the people of God are divided. Ten northern tribes of the kingdom of Israel with their capital of Samaria and their king. And the two southern tribes, the capital of Judah, with their king. But there's coming a day in which the Davidic kingdom will be restored. There will be a reunification of the people of God, and there will be a son of David on the throne. And of course, that uh, that final son of David is Jesus Christ himself. Verse 12, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name. Here, God is saying uh, the nation is actually going to increase its borders. Uh, And in Acts chapter 15, verses 15 through 17, uh, the apostle James says that, uh, claims that this has been fulfilled with the Gentiles being incorporated into the church. Uh, There are people, a remnant from every tribe, tongue, and nation who join the people of God. And so uh, the people of God expands and expands with the preaching of the, of the gospel. Verses 13 and 14 uh, have a beautiful picture of the fortunes being restored and a time of great abundance. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes him who sows the seed. In other words, the land will be so fertile that they're not done harvesting the crop before they're planting again. It's just this ridiculous uh, uh, picture of a cycle of abundance. The mountains shall drip sweet wine. All the hills will flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel. They shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They're going to plant vineyards and drink their wine. Earlier, Amos had said, you're planting vineyards and you're sowing crops, but you're not going to get to enjoy it because uh, the foreign army is going to come in and take it from you. But now they're going to get to enjoy the the, uh, fruits of their labor. And then finally in verse 15, I will plant them on their land. They shall never again be uprooted out of the land I've given them. So the cycle of sin and judgment that has been plaguing Israel from the beginning, they've had good days, but they've never lasted because the people keep sinning against the Lord and incurring His displeasure and then judgment. And, but that's going to end. This cycle of sin and judgment will, will be over and they will enter into a time of perpetual prosperity, an eternal kingdom of security and abundance with uh, that greater son of David uh, being king forevermore. Beautiful picture. Uh, A note of hope that was sure to inspire the people of God. Now, like many Old Testament prophecies, Uh, This one has been fulfilled in part, but not in whole. It's what we call already not yet prophecy. So this was already fulfilled in part 
in 586 when Cyrus the Persian allowed the Jews to return to the promised land. Uh, this was already fulfilled in part when Christ came the first time to establish his kingdom in the hearts of men and women. Uh, this was already fulfilled in part with the preaching of the gospel and the incorporation of the Gentiles into the, into the church. It was fulfilled in part in 1948 with the reestablishment of the state of Israel. But it has not yet, yet been fulfilled in totality. We have glimpses, but it will not be fulfilled uh, fully until Christ returns a second time. At the second coming of Jesus Christ, uh, there will be the reign of Christ on earth. It will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, I love Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. This is such a tremendously encouraging verse uh, especially living in the broken world as we do. And so, turn in your Bibles, if you do, would, to 11, uh, Revelation eleven fifteen, and I would encourage you to underline your Bible. The seventh angel. So, John the Apostle is being given a glimpse of the future, and he's seeing something happening in heaven. And so he records it. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet. There were loud voices in heaven saying. And so hear what these voices are saying and they're proclaiming it loudly. I think it's because it's such monumental news. Many people are so excited. They're loudly yelling. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. So there is coming a day when the kingdom of this world, which right now has many different kings, uh, most of whom are not bowed, the, have not bowed the knee to God and are not uh, living in submission to him, the kingdom of the world, there will be uh, one kingdom, and it is the kingdom of the Lord, our Lord and of his Christ. And that's Jesus. And he shall reign forever and ever. And the people of God... For thousands of years have said, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Because we live in a broken world. And we long for that day when it will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Where there is, as a result, no more wickedness. No more brokenness. Only security and abundance under the righteous reign of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I see four purposes for ending this prophecy on a note of hope. Because obviously God's trying to do something in the hearts of his people uh, by, this, by ending this prophecy on such a note of hope. And the first is this. It's, he's seeking to provoke repentance, right? He's, he's telling the Israelites, you have sinned and judgment is coming, but... If you are, I am going to save a remnant. There will be a remnant of my people who are saved and they get to come back to the land and they will be part of this glorious future kingdom. And so if you're an Israelite and you're listening to Amos, I, I think God is, is trying to provoke repentance where you're saying, I want to be part of that remnant. What do I need to do to get right with God? 
And so that when the Assyrians come, it's not game over for me, but I get to be a part of this, this glorious future kingdom. So he's trying to provoke repentance. And of course, uh, that's part of the, when we proclaim the coming judgment and the, and the, the Holy Spirit convicts people of their sin, he's doing so to provoke re- repentance so that they can get saved. Second thing God's trying to do in his people through this ending on a note of hope is he wants to comfort the remnant. There are men and women in Israel during the time of Amos who have not bowed the knee to a foreign God, who are living in righteousness and justice. And yes, they they dwell amongst a people of unclean lips, a wicked people. They're going to experience judgment along with their uh, fellow Israelite. It's going to be bad in the short run, but God, I think, is saying to them, you know, it's going to get tough, but I know who you are, and we're okay. I love you. You're right. You're part of that remnant, and uh, you still have a great future. And, and that, that has been such a comfort and is a, a comfort to God's people, right? Because some of us... <laughs> Some of us are married to unbelievers, uh, or we, we're in a business where there's wickedness going on, and, and we will often feel the effects of that sin, and it comes into our lives. Sometimes we can feel like we've been soiled, right? And yet God is saying, hey, we're still okay. Uh, I know who you are. You've got a great future despite the sin uh, and the, around you and the judgment that comes upon it. Thirdly, by this ending with a note of hope, I think God is seeking to uh, separate hearts to God. If you are an Israel listening to Amos, and Amos is saying, hey, in the not-too-distant future, a a foreign army is going to come and haul you all off to exile and seize your homes and take your crops for themselves and destroy... Uh, a lot of what's around here. If you believe Amos, you're thinking to yourself, well, then why should I be investing myself in building my, my uh, ivory house, right? Or why should I be so fixated on filling my barn with grain because it's just going to get seized by a, a foreign power? Well, according to Amos, there is only one kingdom that's going to remain, and that's the kingdom of God inhabited by the righteous remnant, Maybe I need to focus my time and energy and set my affections on that future kingdom and and not worry so much about building my kingdom right here in Israel, uh, the one that's about to get (laughs) taken out. And that's what the Bible says to us Christians, right? Do remember that even if you get to live 100 years, it's just a fraction of your real life. So set, don't, don't, don't set your, set your affections on things above, where the real you is, seated with Christ, not on the things of this world which pass away. So when we were in India, we had the privilege of traveling with Saji Lucas. And Saji's story is uh, so powerful. He uh, personally, I don't, I don't personally know anyone who um, lives... Uh, a more of a bigger life of faith 
And he's such an example and he's such an encouragement and his life is just a challenge to me. And so Saji, he's from India. He's very talented. Uh, He became a Christian as a young man. And as a result, his father uh, beat him and kicked him out of the house. In fact, he said his father tied his hands and feet together and beat him like an animal and then kicked him out of the house and said, I disown you, go. Uh, And Saji had nothing, but the Lord was with Saji like Joseph, and and he started out tutoring, and then he ended up building a, a business college. He had hundreds of students, and he was doing quite well. And he was a serious Christian. But later in his 20s, he uh, had an, uh, there were some uh, Christians from America who were, who were looking to arrange a marriage for their daughter. So he marries this uh, Indian-American girl. And now he gets to come to the U.S., and he's excited because it's, it's going to the American dream, right? He lands in New York. He's going to make his fortune, and he's thrilled. And, and he does quite well. He's there for about three years, and he's just a super talented, charismatic guy, and, and so he's succeeding. But he's also a Christian. He's devout, and he's reading the Bible. And he said, the whole time I was in New York, I was hounded by 1 John chapter 2, verses, uh, verse 17, which says, The world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. And he said, as I was pursuing wealth and the American dream, I just kept coming back to this scripture, and it, it just bothered me. And eventually he, he said to his wife, uh, I feel like God is calling me to uh, go to seminary and then go back to India and preach the gospel to the 1.3 billion people, most of whom don't yet know Jesus. And she said, I support you in that. So they went to Chicago. He went to Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. God is uh, Masters of Divinity. That's where Sabrina and I met him. Uh, he graduated before us, but uh, I met him in the library. He was back studying and, and uh, shared the vision God given him to reach the land of India. So he goes back to India, and, and 26 years ago, he starts Mission India. Well, Reaching Indians Ministries International is what we call it in the U.S., but in India, it's called Mission India. And it's amazing what the Lord has done uh, in Mission India. They have a, a seminary in the heart of India, Nagpur, and they grad, uh, they've got about 250 students. They have a bachelor's in theology, a master's of divinity, and then in all 29 states of India, they have a one-year Bible college. And so they graduated 600-plus students this year alone. And that's been going on for 26 years. Now, it's been building, but they have, they have uh, trained and deployed thousands of church planters. Many thousands of churches have been planted. And uh, Saji's a big deal in India. <laughs> the Christians know who he is. They have great respect for him. And he turned 60 this year, and he is still uh, going strong. And I, and I look at Saji, and I think, this is a guy who has tremendous talents, and he could have used those talents uh, for his own purposes and to build his kingdom on earth, but convicted 
uh, by a belief that there, at the end of the day, there's going to only be one kingdom, and it's not the kingdom he builds on earth. It's not his kingdom. It's the kingdom of his Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, he's putting all his eggs in that basket, and uh, he is living for that, that greater kingdom. And so that's obviously one of the things that God seeks to do in our hearts is to convince us that building uh, our kingdom here on earth is foolish because it's temporary and we instead should be building the kingdom of God uh, which lasts forever and and uh, and I'm sure that there were many in Amos's day who got the point final thing I see that Amos or God is trying to do through this final note of hope is to inspire evangelism right if if you believe Amos that the Assyrians are coming in the near future and many of those around you, most of those around you are going to get killed. And if they're not right with God, that's the end for them. They won't get to inherit the greater kingdom. What's that going to inspire the remnant to do? To be out there pleading with their family members and their neighbors and their co-workers and their friends, hey, repent of your sins, get right with God. You want to be part of that remnant. You don't want to miss out. Just acknowledge your unrighteousness and your injustice. God will forgive you. He's gracious and kind. And, and that's what he's wanting to do for us, right? As he, God wants us to, as Christians, um, he wants us to understand that there is a judgment coming. Hebrews, 9, uh, Hebrews 12, 9 says... It is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. And the Bible is very clear that at the judgment, humanity will be separated into two camps, uh, the, sh the sheep and the goats, those who know Christ and will spend eternity with God in heaven, and those who don't and will be cast out into utter darkness, into hell. And, and that there is only one way to be saved, and that's by repenting of your sins and putting your faith in God's Son, Jesus Christ. That salvation is exclusive. There aren't many ways to be saved of which Christianity is one that you can choose. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And so when we, as Christians, when we really grapple with that and own that, it should motivate us to be evangelistic and to be bold in that, and to take risks in that, and to be willing to suffer for that out of love for other people. Because we don't want people, at the end of the day, to be in hell rather than heaven. So in the end, there is only going to be one kingdom and one king, that of our Lord Jesus Christ, and so the question, knowing that, we've got to ask ourselves, are we ordering our lives uh, in a way that makes sense in light of that great truth? <clears throat> so last week, uh, I told you what we did in India, and then I said this week I want to talk about what we learned. And Sabrina and I both came away with the same primary takeaway. And it was a leadership challenge that we felt. And bottom line, it was this. After watching the, uh, the, the pastors in India, the church leaders in India, um, 
challenge their people to be on mission, to be involved in building the kingdom, uh, we both said, we are way, way under challenging the church. Uh, <clears throat> every time the Christians met, it was like it was a, a Christian leadership conference. And they were, everybody was being challenged of all ages and all genders and, and uh, no matter what your education or your economic situation, uh, the leadership was getting up saying, God has called you to build his kingdom. What role are you playing? Don't think to yourself, what can I do? God owns the cattle on 10,000 hills. It's only when we look at God's problem through our eyes that we doubt God's building his church. He wants to build it through you. Get up, go, be ready to suffer. And it was just so rousing. And, and as I listen to this, I'm thinking, my goodness. The people at Clearwater Church, for the most part, ha most part have a whole lot better educations. They have a lot bigger relationship networks. Economically, a lot more prosperous the jobs. In other words, the resources at Clearwater Church dwarf what's in this room. That was my thinking. And here they are, uh, these Indian leaders, challenging God's people to be building the kingdom of God, not just their own kingdoms, to dream big, do big things. God wants to do big things through you. And, and Sabrina and I both walked away just saying, we have way, we've got a way ratchet up the, the challenge uh, and, and, and play a small role in unleashing the potential right here in this room. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So I have two big questions for you. Number one question is, this is for you to be asking, and it's, am I building the kingdom that passes away or the one that lasts forever? Am I building the kingdom that passes away, or the one that lasts forever. And do we want, do we want to look, you know, when we, when we stand before Jesus, and when he says, well done, good and faithful servant, it's, it's him having said, I, okay, here's what I gave you, and here's what you did with what I gave you. Well done. So it has to do with, I entrusted this, this much to you, and you leveraged it well, well done. If we don't leverage well what God has given us, well, the Bible tells us what he's going to say, right? He's not happy with the servant who squanders the talents God's given him. And so we want to be able to look our, our Lord and Savior in the eyes and hear, hear well done. What, I, what we don't want to hear is, is Jesus saying... <laughs> The bulk of your life was spent on building your own kingdom and you, it was just a sliver of what I gave you that you spent on building my kingdom, right? Here's the next question. Am I properly appraising and using my talents? Now, this was, this was a big... Being in India opened my eyes a little bit more, a lot more, to just how much we have been given here in the U.S. <clears throat> and I have a chart, and it's a lot more than just money, but I, I, want, I have a chart here 
on uh, American income versus... It's a little hard to see, let me just tell you. So this is, uh, by global standards, the majority of Americans are high income. So you have a poor class, lower income, middle income, upper income, or upper middle, and then high. Compared to the world, over half of Americans are high income. In fact, 56% uh, of Americans are in, a, in the top 7% of wealth in the world. 88% of all Americans, which means most of us, 88% of Americans are in the top 16% of the world's wealth. Okay? Now, talents are not just wealth, although that's exactly what Jesus is talking about in his parable. He's talking about money. But with money comes opportunity. With money comes lots of discretionary time. With money comes networking. Like, you know, the, the people that we know have money, and we can mobilize them to give to good things. In fact, um, in India, Sabrina and I spent a week with Saji's assistant, Salim, a brilliant uh, young man at 30. And uh, Saji told me, he said, I've thought many times about bringing... Salim is so brilliant, and he has two master's degrees, and he wants to get his Ph.D. in missions. He said, I've thought multiple times about bringing him to the West. Um, but if I do that, now I've got favoritism issues with other staff. But I said, well, why would you want... You know, Salim can go to southern India and get a Ph.D. in missions. Why do you want him to come to the U.S. or to Canada? And he said... Education's slightly better, but he said, it's the networking. He said, why have I been able to do what I've been able to do in India? It's because, it's because God's people in the West fund it. And Salim will never be able, you know, humanly speaking, be able to become a world-class leader unless he's got relationships with other world-class leaders, and he's not going to get that in India. And it, and it caused me to think about our setting, that the fact is we... We, the relationship connections that we have are tremendously valuable. So here's my challenge. <clears throat> I think, I suspect that a whole lot of us are not properly assessing the level of our talents. And, and may I suggest to you that the evil one wants you to think of yourself as having few talents when Jesus Christ looks at you and says, are you kidding me? I have entrusted to you, you're, you're in the top 10% of the entire world when it comes to monetary wealth and the opportunities that you have. You are one of those Christians with tremendous talents. And here's another scripture we need to, to underline because this one, this one is quite challenging. In Luke chapter 12, verse 48, everyone to whom was much given of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Okay, so here's this principle. That God says, if I have entrusted much to you, I'm going to demand from you much. And so if we, if we think to ourselves, oh no, I haven't been given much, then we don't expect much of ourselves. But if God is looking at us saying, are you kidding me? I have entrusted much to you. What does that mean God's expectation of us is?
It's much. Now, there are many ways, many ways to be involved in building God's kingdom. Um, what I'm challenging us to do is to be prayerful and risk-taking and uh, believing God for big things, doing, doing the kind of thing, taking the risk that if God doesn't come through, I fall on my face, right? But all of us need to be able to say, as Christians, we're all called to build the kingdom of God, and we all need to be able to say, here's how I'm building the kingdom of God, and I am significantly involved in doing it. So that when I stand before Christ, I'm going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, as, uh, as Clearwater Church, as an organization, yes, there are lots of ways you can work um, here and through here. But one of, our, one of our commitments is to help you, to help equip you uh, to be building the kingdom of God, which means we might need to be resourcing you financially. We might need to be giving you, you know, uh, a platform to share your vision, and it might be that we, uh, we need to be helping advertise what it is you're about. We want to equip you uh, to be building the kingdom, but you've got to be the one who is prayerfully asking, Lord, how do you want me to be doing this? Uh, and It'll be taking the risk, and then we can get, get on board with you. So, I want to end with this. Just to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes, only because this is just introspection time. And first question, who do you think has a higher view of your talents? You or God? And the second question is, how are you involved in building God's kingdom And do you think you're going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant? Lord, thank you for encountering us through the preaching of your word. All of us are challenged. All of us can believe you for bigger things. All of us can be, uh, can be doing more to build your kingdom rather than our own. Help us in Jesus' name we pray, amen.